You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthcare. I'm Matt Brock. This time we talked to Scott Meyer. He's the Executive Director of Operations for Value-Based Care at Summit Medical Group. Now, they're based out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Summit is a huge group. I looked them up in our directory on the NCQA website. The list of recognized practice sites fills five full web pages, dozens of recognized practices. It's really impressive. You'll see, I specifically asked Scott to brag a bit, and he does, but mostly about the patient-centered medical home, its role in the summit success story, the business opportunities it's provided in value-based contracts, and he even explains how Summit quickly scaled up its telehealth capacity for COVID and then used it to execute an outreach program, keeping patient access and business operations stable. It really is a great story. Now, excuse the audio quality, if you will. We're responsibly socially distancing right now, so no studio sound. Still a great story. Now, the Summit success. Tell us about uh, your role and about Summit Health for folks, you know, all over the country who listen to the podcast. Sure. Well, thank you, Matt. So Summit Medical Group is the largest um, primary freestanding primary care group in the state of Tennessee. We have about 300,000 lives here at Summit, and about 72% of the patient population is in some kind of value-based care initiative. And so we're very proud of that, and we believe value-based care um, the triple aim, the 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 um, commitment to reducing cost while at the same time increasing quality, increasing patient experience um, scores, um, really matches the values that we have here at Summit Medical Group. And so I'm so proud of that. Um, most uh, organizations of our size in the South and the Midwest would not have that uh, size of a population in a value-based care initiative. So, um, as you mentioned, I'm the executive director of value-based care operations, and so it's my job to make sure that we, at some medical groups, stay uh, compliant with all the different requirements of each one of the initiatives. And I always joke that you know we we are very um, uh, we very much enjoy working with the partners, the the, the payers, and and, this, and CMS and Medicaid. But I do have to say they all kind of think they're the center of the universe, mm-hmm. and everybody has their own kind of rules, if you will, um, uh, in terms of the value-based care initiative and the type of care that we're supposed to deliver and, and the way that we're supposed to improve quality. And I've learned since I've been here that the universal language of all 14 of those initiatives is the NCQA PCMH program. Um, and it's nice that our, all of our, our sites, we have about 65 sites now, are all recognized by NCQA. And it's, um, it's a crutch for me. Uh, in that we are able to talk about whatever criteria that uh, we want to and what we want to improve on in the NCQA program, and we still end up meeting an initiative requirement, and the staff don't even know that. In fact, the staff couldn't even tell you exactly what the delivery requirements are for each one of the 14 um, value-based care initiatives, but they can definitely tell you what criteria um, that we try to complete every year to maintain our recognition. And so I, I'm not sure, honestly, Matt, 
how we would manage the different initiatives that we have if we didn't have that universal language of NCQA PCMH program. That's interesting. So it's a, a central yeah. sort of tenet of everything, right? Tell me. Uh, yes, it is. You know, we were we were when I was writing the uh, title of this call that would possibly become the title of the podcast. I wrote initially Summit of Success. And then I thought, well, that's not really appropriate because we never reach the summit. We're always getting better, correct? That is so true. And we, matter of fact, the team I'm working with right now, we're going back and looking at our value statements. And especially with COVID mm -hmm. and um, the training that we've had with NCQA has helped us um, kind of weather the storm of COVID. And we, we definitely, you know, we, we thought that we did a great job, and, and I believe we do, but we are always evolving, and it's not necessarily just because there are new criteria coming through the program. It's because life happens, and um, you know, who would have guessed that we would be in a pandemic? And the structure of NCQA actually was, um, in many ways, helped us um, think how we could still provide good care to our patients um, despite the fear of, of, of the pandemic. And so, um, so in our conversations, we. I think we just realized, you know, we're always going to be evolving. You know, we're, I don't think we're ever going to arrive. And I think that's okay. I right. think um, and those organizations that think they've arrived and there's nothing more to do, I think become complacent and they start to regress. And we at Summit believe that we're, we're going to move one way or the other. We're either going to evolve or we're going to digress. And again, that's why, um, you know, we, we just believe the program itself through NCQA um, has just given us that thought process, those structures that we need to have to weather the storm of COVID. Nonetheless, Summit has had a great deal of success uh, using PCMH as, as the you know guiding model. But tell us about the, these areas where it's really made uh, a difference for uh, you know all of your all of your practices across the team. But if you would like to detail some specifics, we're, we're happy to, to hear them too. Wow. So where do I start? <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, so I, I think that the, the leadership here at Summit would agree that, um, you know, there's a lot of criteria. There's a lot of, um, of, of activities and evidence that we need to, to gather. And, um, and so sometimes... Um, we might fall short and we have to remember to go back and pick up the pieces and start over again with that gathering evidence for certain criteria. And so, um, and so because of that, sometimes we find ourselves thinking, but, oh gosh, we really have good access, right? Mm -hmm. And then we realize, well, we haven't really talked to the patients much about what access they're looking for. And so finding out that we, at the end of the day, really need to have um, uh, wellness visits and visits exams on Saturdays and in evenings so that our working um, families, both either both spouses are working or um, maybe it's a single um, parent home, um, has a hard time coming into our offices. And so just a lot of the access in particular is, is um, some of the areas that we're really focused on. And right now, you know, Matt, honestly, my mind keeps focusing on where we are currently with COVID. And right. Are you using telehealth with that? Yeah, so say it really did help because we, I mean, we were able to um, change the way that our physicians were providing care through telehealth, through telemedicine. And because we are constantly, we're, we're, we're in an environment of change, 
we're in an environment of evolution. It's not unusual at some medical group to pivot from what we're doing currently in order to maintain or improve, and in our case, maintain um, during a, an epidemic the kind of care that we want to um, um, provide, but in the same token, even to improve it. And so we were able to implement telehealth uh, very quickly. Um, we implemented a COVID hotline, and part of that was because I ran multiple call centers in my career, so I got to be the guy who built the call center. And um, again, when patients would have um, any kind of symptoms that were related to COVID, they would come to our call center, and we built it in a day. Mm. And when you're an organization that is not used to changing or adapting to meet patient needs, it's it's difficult in these kind of situations to respond quickly. And so I'm really proud of the COVID, what we call the COVID hotline. Um, and it was uh, actually um, um, the, the Knox County Department of Health director um, in Knox, we're, part of, we're in the Knoxville, Tennessee metro area. I called and found out how quickly, wanted to find out how, how quickly we um, built the, the call center. And so we were able to explain that we practice medicine in teams, we, we um, manage in teams, and yeah, I had a lot to do with it because my background, but as a team, we were able to adapt and change quickly to build that call center. And we were able to have our patients who had COVID symptoms tested at our urgent cares rather than at our offices. And so we were trying to keep um, space that didn't have viruses, but what we had the virus um, infected it. But what we're super proud of, and this is a story I just have to tell you, Matt. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> this is the, it's had to do with telemedicine. So, the, as you know, with um, NCQA PCMH, there's a concept of care management, and we always are very proud of, of the work that we do for that. Well, when telehealth came so quickly, a lot of patients were confused about having a telehealth visit with a physician because that really wasn't um, necessarily a reversible um, visit by most payers. And so we never really engaged in televisit very much. So when we were trying to complete care plans, the patients were confused and said, well, why do I need to talk to the doctor about my blood sugar if I just talk to the RN? And so we were setting ourselves up to not capture those televisits. And so we stopped the care plans at that point in time, and we, within maybe a couple of hours, completely transformed ourselves to a what we call an appointment capture team, where we were calling patients uh, who were due for a chronic fault appointment or who were due for a physical exam, explaining to them the risk mitigations that we put in place in the offices and then capturing appointments either through televisits or um, by having them come to the office, depending on what the preference of the patient was. And I happen to be married to a physician here at Summit, so I got to hear this story. Um, <laughs> in the past, a lot of the pediatrics groups really, um, I think because they would just get busy with sick visits and and they would certainly pay attention to well visits, but nobody ever really cast a net to say, let's go out and look and see who hasn't been in this year for a wellness visit. So by us doing this, one, we built volume, which we desperately needed. But what was more important is that we improved patient care by identifying patients who had not been into these pediatric offices for a couple of years. And when the pediatricians were talking about this, they said, you know, gosh, we're seeing patients we haven't seen in a couple of years. And one physician actually had a 17-year-old young man who um, has um, an ulterior, uh, an alternate lifestyle mm-hmm. and was sharing that at school and was beat up um, at a, a major um, crisis 
And because our team transformed to meet the patient's need, to reach out to that patient, get them to come into the office, the physician was able to do a crisis intervention immediately. Hmm. The same token, my wife had a 15-year-old female who was probably making um, not the best choices. Mm -hmm. Um, They're 15, that happens. um, Yeah, Uh, I'm I'm trying to be very careful because I didn't make the best choices when I was 15 either. Mm -hmm. However... This patient hadn't been seen since she was 12, oh, wow. and because we reached out to this patient to bring them in and to, again, because it was patient-centered, bring them into the office, um, she had a promiscuous lifestyle, we were able to do a chlamydia screening, and then she got a lecture from Dr. Meyer on wise choices, and we would not have been able to help change those kids' lives if, if we were not, if we didn't have a structure in place where we could quickly adapt to patient needs. And, it's, and it, I, when, I talk about, when I talk to you about before, I'll tell you, I was super convinced NCQA PCMH is the way to run a practice. But going through a pandemic and realizing we have to have a structure to quickly adapt, I'm even more convinced now than ever before that this program really does, at the end of the day, change patient lives. And um, I don't know, I really honestly don't know how we would have responded as quickly as we could have or would have had we not had that structure in place that that uh that framing right it frames everything for you really if you follow the frame yes um yes the frame is very important mm-hmm. i mean we, and we obviously follow the plan do study act model to improve but what i what i i kind of knew this but i didn't know it as real as i do now that the plan do study act model is a way of thinking, it's a way of managing, it's a way of, of, of dealing with problems um, as they come across and across across your path. And, um, and so because we are so committed to that thought process, like I said, we were able to come together and come up with ideas and put um, a completely new structure in place within hours. Well, we're proud of you for that. We know a lot of practices across the country are, are uh, have been forced to be innovative. And uh, and frankly, it sounds like um, you found a way to actually make the pandemic an opportunity in terms of finding uh, uh, uncared for patients or uh, unresponsive patients from, from the past and, you know, calling your roles so to speak. So I think that's that's very impressive and something, you know, um, that has a financial component to it. And, you know, we've also talked to you about that in the past. And you are an accountant by trade, I'll say, by profession. Um, yes. Is, so you have... Don't hold that against me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I could be a better accountant, my friend. Um, but that... that um, that familiarity with numbers, I think you probably could tell us uh, and have told us that it has made a difference there uh, for your practices. Oh, absolutely. So of the 14 value-based care initiatives, and there are some that are public information, um, and those are the, the initiatives that are governmental in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, CPC Plus, um, we have um, a big patient population in the next-gen ACO. In Tennessee, we have 10 care. We don't have Medicaid. Um, the 10 care, 10 care patients in their medical home um, model, um, all of those programs um, mirror the NCQA PCMH program. Matter of fact, the 10 care PCMH program requires 
recognition by NCQA for the other initiatives that are um, proprietary, but they're um, with commercial payers. There are a number of those initiatives that also require NCQA PCMH. And I have to tell you, Matt, when I first came to this position, you know, I wasn't a fan of NCQA. And a lot of it was because of my ignorance of it, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would read those contracts and say, oh my gosh, here we go. We have to be NCQA recognized, you know, or mm-hmm. Blue Cross won't give us this, this contract. And so um, I, I came to that part of my life in, with a complete kind of blinders on, I guess. And as we started reading the criteria and watching the transformation in some of our newer sites that were transforming, and we saw you know, the, the lives being changed. We saw the quality improving. We saw quality gaps being closed. Um, we saw patients, you know, being happy and enjoying coming to the doctor's office. Um, I, I, I became a believer, mm-hmm. and and so NCQA PCMH is is obviously it's built into a lot of our contracts, uh, and I understand why. If I was a payer, I would want to partner with the medical group that has hours that are um, convenient for my members. Um, if I was a, an HMO um, or even a PPO, I guess it doesn't matter, I would want a medicine practice in a team-based setting because a physician can't do it all. And we at Summit recognize that. Um, it takes a team in order to coordinate care um, through all the different facilities that a patient has to be co- um, um, coordinated through. If I was a payer, I would want a, a commitment to quality improvement and um, and so it, it, it totally makes sense now that I'm on this side after four years of doing it. It makes complete sense why the payers would require um, that recognition. And so um, and that and I would say of the 14, there's four or five that it's actually written into a contract. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then tell the me, recognition. tell okay. me this because you know. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, sometimes large groups, uh, you know, they're looking at the bottom line too. Um, that's part of what we, that we're in the end, you got to pay the bills. Right. Um, so, so tell me what you would say or, or, or the messages that someone who is trying to convince their leadership to buy in, what would you say to them? Uh, certainly about the bottom line, because what what folks sure. often think is it's all investment. We got to put more people on. We got to, you know, uh, uh, build this whole new program. Spend the, you know, they they think of the investment yeah. and not necessarily the outcomes always. Yeah. So yeah, a couple things. Um, I I would say, and again, I've I've worked in practice management for a lot of my career, um, and. As I look through the program, my first comment would be, in my opinion, as a layperson, not because I'm not a clinician, obviously, but my first comment would be the majority, actually almost all of it, we should have been doing all along, simply um, because it's the best care for our patients. But from a financial perspective, um, is there a little bit of an investment? I, I suppose. I mean, you might have to hire another employee, um, another nurse to to, to monitor referrals, although she should have been monitoring referrals all along, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you kind of have that piece. But our program has led to a value-based care culture um, of reducing costs, again, improving quality and improving patient satisfaction. And so because of that culture, and we, we are a very attractive partner to commercial payers as well as governmental payers. 
and the financial benefit is substantial at Sun and Alpha Group. And I can't give you percentages, but I would tell you there is a significant dollars, a significant amount of dollars um, uh, coming in to our, to our bank account that come from bonuses from value-based care initiatives. Hmm. Um, and I believe, actually, I would tell those leaders, you know, value-based care is not going to go away. Um, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. When I give presentations around the country in the value-based care arena, and represent some medical group, I will have a number of my peers come up to me and ask me, how, how as an organization of your size, how do you meet all the program requirements? And I always tell them, NCQA, PCMH, if you follow it, you can't help but meet the requirements. And so um, I, I honestly don't think large organizations have an option if they want to be a viable um, player in the future in healthcare. I think that we, we're going to have to have a structure in place that meets those value-based care initiatives. Um, and I, I, I don't know of any other way, Matt, to do it, honestly. So I would tell that group of folks, the future is value-based care. If you want to know how to do it, become NCQA, PCMH recognized, and that will be how you do it. It'll certainly set you on the path, right? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. What are you? What are your providers telling you? Your caregivers, your nurses, your physicians, uh, even even technicians. What are they telling you about being a part of this? You know, um, that's a really good question. I if you came to a if you talked to some elbow group physician, they would understand. They would hear NCQA. They would they hear about. They would be familiar with PCMH. They do it and don't realize it. If that mm. makes sense. Because the criteria really are operations in a medical group that benefit the patient. And so they, it's my job to make sure that we um, meet all the criteria. And now Candle uh, hummer Cows, who you know, um, here at Summit, she's our PCMH coordinator. And so um, because we've become so large and there's so much um, evidence that we need to produce, but it's a life here. And so doctors might not know that you – know, um, criteria TC-01 is the team-based care um, criteria, but they certainly understand um, the importance that every member of the care team um, plays with, with them, um, treating their patients. They might not know that, I think it's TC-06 is um, the criteria for huddles, but they certainly know about communicating back and forth with the team constantly about patient care. They know what that is. And so, um, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm proud of that because I don't really want them to have to get bogged down in what criteria number um, is, is, has to be met. I want them to just practice medicine in a way that they believe improves the patient's um, care. And again, the majority of the criteria, I will tell you almost all, but I can't think of anything that really isn't, um, all the criteria feed into improving that patient care. And it's sort of it's sort of the way I work with my own measurement of my work and my analytics. If you're doing the things right, you don't really have to watch the temperature gauge, correct? It, it sort exactly. of it that's takes exactly right. it takes care of itself, and I think that's what your uh, what uh, it, PCMH and the structure does for you. But I, I guess exactly. I guess my question about providers was more about are they. Uh, has it made any impact on sort of your employee satisfaction rates? Do you, do you think your employees are more satisfied working under this structure? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, there, I will say there might be some employees who don't necessarily aren't thrilled about working on a Saturday. I'm not going to lie to you, Matt, mm-hmm. um, because that there are, you know, it's, it's a patient need to have those hours. But there are multiple errors at PCMH, um, the whole care management process and how, again, how we how we um, evolved during COVID in particular, that whole um, process. Uh, the physicians are extraordinarily grateful that we have those care management processes in place and now we have that PDSA, the Plan Do Study Act mindset here so that we could quickly come up with a structure that would help continue the great care that our physicians give to um, our patients. So do they understand that you know care management's a criteria with the program? No, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. But they are, especially now, I'm kind of going through this battle, um, extraordinarily grateful extraordinarily um i guess surprised a little bit maybe <laughs> i think they were they were shocked um and so they really saw the, the ncqa pcmh structure in place in a very dynamic situation um which always kind of brings it to your attention you know more than what it because it's so ingrained in our, our way of life that it just seems to be normal but then again when you have these um the, these tragic events it um the structure becomes even more apparent. So um, they, uh, the, the team care, the team-based care in particular, is uh, is very attractive to our providers. We, um, our advanced practitioners, are a very important part of our team. Without our advanced practitioners, um, we wouldn't be able to get the care that we that we want to give to our patients simply because of access and, 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 and to a provider. And so, um, just having them being part of the team and being engaged. And, and huddling and, and, and really digging into quality gaps and, and kind of working with the patients to see the importance of getting a colonoscopy or a mammogram or um, if they're diabetic, making sure that, um, that they get that A1C um, below eight or nine, um, I believe is rewarding to them because I mean, this is their world. I mean, we, 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 we empower them, we give them a good structure through NCQA in which to improve patient care, and they really, at least we here at Summit, um, you know, we cherish that. And so anything that we can do to help improve care, the physicians are going to certainly be behind it, and it does improve their satisfaction with their job. Well, um, Scott Meyer of Summit Health in Knoxville, or the Knoxville area, Eastern Tennessee, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Uh, you deserve recognition. You earned it, and we're very proud of you. And uh, and we're happy to help you grow a bit. So thank you, Scott, for joining us. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> it was a real honor. Thank you, Matt. Alrighty. I told you Summit's story is a good one. Thank you for listening to that conversation. Exceptionally informative. Thank you, Scott Meyer, for appearing on Inside Healthcare. Now, we hope you will join us for the next Inside Healthcare and a visit with NCQA's new Chief Product Officer. You can bet we'll talk technology, telehealth, and digital measurement. I'm Matt Brock. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again, no doubt.